It's the biggest box office weekend of the year. Uh, we got a Barbenheimer dropping everywhere in movie theaters. People are lining up around the blocks, blockbusters everywhere all the time, all day long, back to back. Or if you want to go see them on back to back days, maybe you'll see one on Friday or Sunday. I went and saw both. And today with me to talk about Barbie and Oppenheimer, I've got Angelina. How are you doing? Hi, how are you guys? I'm good. I'm good. I'm back in LA. We are rolling. We're doing the things. It is summer in full swing over here. Sorry, um, my audio cut. Yeah, it was like your audio cut out. Are we good? <laughs> I was like, what happened? Um, okay, well, no, it's it's great to to hear that you're having a good time. I know you're back in LA. So uh, last week we were talking, you were in Florida, right? So yes. hope that's going well um, and you're getting back to your daily routine. Um, did you have a chance to go see uh, Oppenheimer? I did. I went and saw Oppenheimer. I loved Oppenheimer. Um, and you saw both, right? You saw Barbie and Oppenheimer. I went and saw both. I saw both. I actually, so uh, we're going to start with, I, I, but for the for the uh, record, I did not do the double uh, feature because I just, that would have been, look, like, uh, and having sat through both movies, I, I can imagine that it's, while it's the fun, fun thing to do, I don't know if I'd recommend it because that Oppenheimer is a long what movie. I was going to initially do, and then my schedule switched around and I couldn't, I couldn't make the show times. And I went and saw Oppenheimer at 11.15 p.m., I got out of the movie theater at 2.30 a.m. I'd been up since 5 a.m. I was like, yeah, I was slightly delusional watching the movie, which is, I guess, a good place to be. I, I feel like it gives more Christopher yeah. Nolan more credit. Uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely um, one of Christopher Nolan's crowning achievements in a career that's filled with crowning achievements. Um, and, of course, you have Barbie, which is... It couldn't be a more different movie, and you know what? That's where that's where I want to start today. Um, let's let's talk about Barbie, and uh, I want to come on, just... Barbie. Let's go party. Wait, yeah. okay. Was okay. the song featured? Was the song featured? No, it's actually not in the movie. Um, however, I so here's the thing. I don't know where this music video exists right now because I went to this Wednesday early blowout party. You know, Barbie screening at my AMC in town. And they had like the Dolby Cinema uh, screen, so like the best screen in, in, in theater dedicated to it. I walked in and this is a Wednesday evening. It's summertime granted, right? But like it's Wednesday evening, but, but the line was at, started at the entrance and I just had to kind of like wait to get my ticket punched on the middle of the week. Uh, you know, screening. And I felt incredibly underdressed because I only own like one pink shirt. I couldn't find it. Um, and so I went, I'm like, oh, well, what are the odds? Like, you know, and then it's like, there's this woman in front of me with her family. She's wearing these pink pajamas. She's got a pink blankie. She, her daughter is all dressed in pink. I think her, her partner, her, her husband, whoever, like he had some kind of pink jacket thingy on. And then and then like every other person I saw, like they have, there's like these tweens like walking in with like pink bandanas. There's this one guy, like I walked out of Oppenheimer a few days later and then there were people coming in to watch like Barbie. Because you could tell who's coming to watch Barbie because they're oh, wearing pink. In a, so I saw it at the Grove too. And I yeah. think I told you before, but when I tell you, I've never seen a movie theater more packed and drastically different. Like you saw all these people like fully dressed up for Barbie. The concessions line was like out the door and the Grove is like a big AMC movie theater, really big. The lobby is huge, packed. I was like weaving through people. I gave up on popcorn. I was like, I'm not doing that. Um, 
it was it was it was a trip it was a big 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 box office weekend for everyone across the nation for sure but it, i it am was. really sad that you didn't dress up and go in character at that point you should have just gotten like <sighs> gone and bought a pink shirt it was a full experience I, dan i know yeah i know i i wish they were you know what this was a merchandising opportunity for theaters oh i i know that's the one thing they don't do but I bet you if movie theaters started to like have a merchandise stand or like store in especially the big ones, like the one that I go to is probably the biggest AMC in like a 10 mile radius. Mm -hmm. So like in the central Connecticut area where I am and like the next biggest AMC is like near New York and Trumbull, which is like mm. if you come uh, over the state lines at like 20, 30 minutes later, you'll hit that. So that's a big, but that's the other big one. So if they had like, a merchandise section and look they can upcharge the heck out of you they can sell you a barbie t-shirt for 50 dollars well, because when you you know how like you can pre-buy concessions it offered me the opportunity to pre-buy a barbie pink flamingo with my drink it, I didn't I, do it. I, there was definitely some barbie stuff being handed out at the concessions um mm -hmm. I actually don't have it with me right now because my one was a special screening. So they gave out posters and then oh, they gave cute. out a badge that I, I either said I love Barbie or I am Barbie. And so when I did my out of theater reaction, I just put it on like and, and so Wait, that's so cute. Yeah, it was it was really. Uh, I, yeah, I, I, I didn't have it on while I was watching the movie because it was just like sitting off to the side. I barely could, you know, get seats like I purchased my seats like pretty late in the game. So the theater was pretty much booked out. Mm -hmm. I actually think I ended up sitting in like the the row uh, like where they have uh, a special like room for people with with disabilities. Like if you're oh, coming like in the wheelchair, wheelchair yeah. and then you have like and then you have seats uh, uh, next to that. So I think I got one of those seats. So I was actually partly worried. I was like, if they have somebody here who needs this, like usually the priority is given to like somebody yeah. who's accompanying somebody in the wheelchair. So I obviously I don't want to be the person who's ruining the experience for somebody like somebody like yeah. there who's needs the room the space but i was like you know what i want to go see the movie hopefully things will work out i ended up being like you know a really really fantastic experience i had like people next yeah. sitting next to me that were cackling yeah. like they were like you could tell there was like just just these people who were off from uh school for the summer okay full, like, so families like, getting everybody. into that yeah like getting into that yeah. so far barbie has like great reviews i found some really great quotes i wasn't able to go see it as you guys know which like makes me really sad but right now we're already at 90 percent rotten tomato score four to five yeah. on common sense um critics are giving this great reviews what did you think about the movie oh i i have to say when i walked out of the theater it was to me probably the best film of the year which is it's a difficult okay. thing for me to bestow on any movie because like my expectations are always very high and so i had that much fun at the movie theaters i remember thinking to myself i was smiling and laughing like year to year the whole time because even the moments that were a little cringy or like moments where they'd made some bold bold decisions to drop some references like okay spoiler alert because i can't hold on to it any longer there's this references there's a reference to Zack snyder's justice league in the movie that i just knew is going to either make people laugh really hard or offend them really really like like quite a lot and it was just it, it was this one like it, it, at one point in the movie one of the barbies is like oh my god it's like i just I, why do i feel like i've just been 
watching Zack Snyder's Justice League for too long. It's like it was in reference to like to toxic masculinity. I feel like in some ways it was because like in this the story of the movie is basically like somehow the Kens end up being the bad guys because in the world of Barbie, Kens are treated like you know they they exist to make Barbie happy, mm-hmm. and then like Barbie and and so you know Margot Robbie's Barbie and Ryan Gosling's Ken end up in the because there's apparently this portal to the real world for Barbie. Okay, lines. well I don't want full world. spoilers. No, no, no. no I'm not getting so so that the general premise is that you know because of that journey they um like Ken realizes like <laughs> what's what does it call it. It's uh, it, they go by like it's uh, is it not not paternity? What uh, is it paternity? Not what's like? What would you? What is the word for like? It's a male-led world patriarchy. A that's patriarchy? that's the word. Patriarchy. <laughs> he like, said you paternity. Can, everybody. I'm, I was trying to. I'm like, what is the word? I was so close I, to it. I literally couldn't follow you at all because like I didn't know where yeah. that thread was going to end. Um, I was just like, but just what? just remember when you go watch the movie. Like, yeah, that's a big theme here. Not not theme as in like the movie's about patriarchy. Well, like, but it's in a way, Greta Gerwig, but, right? So like yeah. we kind of knew she was gonna lay some lay mm-hmm. some land here, and yeah. So overall, like. Do you feel like this, because there was a real risk of this getting like very political, right? Do you feel like it was too political? Do you feel like it was the perfect amount of like societal references? Like, did she go too far? Did she not go far enough? Or was it like the perfect balance? I don't think she, I don't think uh, she went very far. I mean, I, I thought there was, it was really well balanced. It ultimately, the movie is like a celebration of, you know, femininity and like, all the like there's this one review on on uh Rotten tomatoes that i think is a very good summation of what i thought the movie is about right um i'm just trying to find it this is from um yep this is from the new republic grace segger she's like a top critic on Rotten tomatoes mm-hmm. this is what she said barbie is surprisingly spiritual treating the messiness and contradictions of womanhood with reverence and that is probably one of the most accurate ways I can describe this movie because I ultimately that's I'm what like it's so about. I'm so excited to go see it. I was so sad I couldn't yeah. see it, but I literally could not see it this weekend. Yeah. Um, all right. I'm excited. Let's talk I about some box it. office numbers though, because we're not the only people that were like, we have to go see this movie. Yeah. Where, where are we at right now on box office weekend? Box office? I mean, look, this movie is now the highest opening of the year so i was looking at these numbers now um these numbers are up to date as of sunday a.m so like i'm sure we will get you know more accurate numbers on monday but um harvey may is set to make like 155 million dollars at the domestic box office opening and i think that internationally that's numbers gotta be like double you know with what it makes abroad i i think barbie will probably not perform as well abroad as Oppenheimer, because mm-hmm. uh, the sub, uh, I think it's, while the it's not matter. uniquely American, yeah, like, you know, a lot I of the movie takes place in ask. LA and Hollywood. So I think that it will play better with American audiences. Well, also internationally, like you have to, yeah. internationally too, like outside of the UK, when you start to get into some of like the Asian, Southeast Asian countries, I don't, is there a risk that China just won't play this movie? Do you think that they I don't? I don't know if there was any issues like because because I remember there was something I, I think Barbie got banned in one country somewhere I think was it I, I'm I might be misquoting this but I think it was either Vietnam or something and it was for 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 a reason that 
seems relatively trivial. Vietnam. Let's see. Yeah. Banned so, in Vietnam over how a childlike map stirred a South China Sea dispute. Oh, geez. Okay. Oh, I mean, like, I, I don't know yeah. um, just how many, like, ultimately, this movie, like, here's the, some of the simple facts. Barbie is the highest grossing opening weekend of the year mm -hmm. now. It, previously, that was Super Mario Bros. Super Mario Bros. also currently sits as the highest grossing movie of the year. It's the only movie that has made a billion dollars this year so far. And when you look at like everything else that has come out or is set to come out, I find it hard to uh, really pick out any movie that is going to... Even Barbie and Oppenheimer... I don't know if any of these movies are going to make a billion dollars. Like it's it's mm. in a post-pandemic world where we're still seeing the box office recover and people still like their habits either are forever changed or they're just, I mean, and you know, the economy isn't necessarily in the best shape. So people are being more wise with where they spend their money. So it's difficult. I mean, but here's the thing. The reason why Super Mario Bros. made as much money as it did is because it's like a four quadrant movie that was appealed to everybody. Yeah. And, and, I didn't even think Super Mario Bros. had the kind of like social media, just the word of mouth behind it that mm -hmm. Barbenheimer is bringing to Barbie and Oppenheimer, yeah. which is probably the, the, the most successful, you know, uh, organic marketing campaign that sort of just emerged and then everybody hopped on the, including the studios and then all the actors and producers and directors just hopped on it and said, you know what, this is better for all, everybody. So let's just give this thing a push and, and do everything we can to make this a big deal. I've never seen a phenomenon like this and it's, it's leading to probably the biggest box office weekend of the year because between mm -hmm. Barbie and Oppenheimer and then Mission Impossible and everything else that's in theaters and the fact that we're in, in July, like peak summer movie season, I don't think we're going to have a higher grossing box office weekend the for the rest of the year. year. Yeah. yeah. I mean, unless something, because they always drop a lot on Christmas day or like Christmas Eve, unless something around that time gets picked up, I doubt it, but we're also, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, but the strike will possibly affect a lot of release dates, which could mean that this is really one of the final, final, like big box opening weekends because yeah. stuff that's pushed and set for later in the year might get pushed even further because of the strikes. So, I mean, because I heard that um, during the middle of the last week, I'm sure you were seeing the same headlines mm -hmm. I was like. Warner Brothers is thinking about moving Dune 2, mm -hmm. Dune Part 2 to like next year. I yeah. think it was one other move, like Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom, they might move because... Which I don't understand that one though, because it's like, that's been filming for so long, they have to be done with filming. So there's a they video on post-production like I they're don't... definitely in post. So there's a there was an article in The Hollywood Reporter this past week that talked about what's going on with Aquaman 2 right now. They've gone through three rounds of reshoots and with the latest round taking place after James Gunn and Peter Safran came in. Wow. They at one point in one of the earlier cuts, they had Michael Keaton's Batman and then the movie got slotted to come out after The Flash because originally it was going to come out before The Flash. So then based on the story of The Flash, because Flash reintroduces Michael Keaton into mm -hmm. the franchise um, or into the DCU proper for the first time. So then they were like, okay, well now we're going to have Ben Affleck's Batman in there. So then that's why I think earlier this year we had this like these photos of Ben Affleck's on the studio lot and with Jason Momoa and they were doing some kind of scene together. And now I think the latest round of reshoots, they've taken out all of the, any of those. So we're not going to have any of either of those Batman in there. And what we're going to instead have is a story that feels, a, you know, more disconnected from the older DCEU. And, and because James Gunn doesn't want 
to promise a universe that's not going to come to fruition because they're mm-hmm. rebooting everything. Yeah. So, however, they asked for five days for reshoots and, and they were able to finish everything in four. So apparently James wanted everybody had been so well, they're really happy with where they are. And the first Aquaman struggled to like kind of have a focused story until post-production. So it looks like right now, they're t- even though they haven't been performing well in test screenings, with the latest set of reshoots and hopefully whatever else they're rejigging, maybe you know I think they're feeling better about the movie today than ever before. But the biggest thing I took away from that, and then there's a video about this on DC Daily on our channel, you know, quick plug, where yeah. I explain this in more detail. But ultimately. It's a good sign that Warner Brothers is willing to keep investing money in this movie because they clearly believe that it's going to do well. And the first one made a billion dollars. But as so, an actor, that drives me absolutely batty because, like, I it 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 makes it harder for me to do a good job when I have no idea what the actual story is. You know what I mean? So it's like yeah. it drives me nuts. But it is what it is. Like I'm more of a Type A kind of person. Jason Momoa seems like a very Go with whatever hits me. I've never met him. I hear he's great. But like, yeah, you know what I mean? I'm sure he's fine with it. But I'm over here yeah. like, I would <laughs> be so mad. <laughs> but whatever. We, yeah. we got it. Okay. Yeah. Back to Oppenheimer. We got off on a tangent there yeah. about DC. By the way, Sorry, I just got to say, uh, I, oh, I got to ask you, like, are you, when, mm-hmm. are you gonna go, when are you going to go watch Barbie? Because I'm interested so, in honestly, hearing Honestly, because I missed it for opening weekend, I have friends that are going together on uh-huh. Wednesday and I think we're all going to dress up and do it. So I'm literally just going to text them and be like, I'm coming. I'm, awesome. I'm, I'm going to be there. Um, well, so yeah, we're going to have a know. full, yeah, we're going to have a full experience. I'm very excited. I will dress up in pink, Dan, just for you. Okay. Just for okay. You. Awesome. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, so, okay, well, let's, let's then talk about Oppenheimer, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, the other half of Barbenheimer. Um, yes. You went and saw it. What did you think about Bar? Uh, I almost said Barbie. What did you think about Oppenheimer? So I had a screw up with the tickets and I accidentally got the wrong ticket date, which I don't even know how it happened. So I was supposed to go at 1030 and there were no more seats. And they were like, you got this for the wrong date. Like you can come back next Friday. And I was like, I got a seat today. <laughs> so I had to wait in the movie theater until 11.15 to go see it, which is why I ended up going to such a late show time. Um, the theater was full. The 10.30, no more seats. 11.15, we just barely got seats. Um, IMAX is loud. Christopher Nolan really likes to go in with a bang. I think it was Kelly and Murphy's best acting overall. I thought it was a great story. I thought it, and it's fairly historically accurate from what I'm reading. Um, as far it's based as on the book, um, I forget the name of the book, but it's based on the book itself. I think won a Pulitzer Prize or something. Mm-hmm. It was, it's, it was, yeah. So yeah. Uh, I so think, yeah. I mean, you get to see so many historical, big scientific players in this movie, and. There are parts of it that I thought were really beautiful. Um, I think Emily Blunt did a great job. I was floored. Florence Pugh. Maybe they underused her. I don't know. I'm like, I feel like she could have done a little bit more in the storyline overall. But overall, Killian Murphy, like, killed it. It was a great story. I think Christopher Nolan's editing was riveting. I was, like... 
he does that thing where he sort of like goes back and forth in the timeline and you have to sort of piece it together. The only thing that confused me was the very end. So we can go over what you what you feel about the movie and then we can like con- maybe compare that because the very end, like the last two minutes of the storyline, screw up the timeline. It, it, it does. It's sort of, okay. So Christopher Nolan is known for doing these non-chronological sort of yeah. stories, the non-linear storytelling. And that's something where, which was, which I think, like that's why like inception and the dark knight trilogy even like those movies in in those movies it flows more naturally but this made less sense yeah because everything that you see in the timeline like it keeps sort of going back and forth right and it all fits until the very last one but that day in the timeline happened before he ever started making the bomb and so it was like wait what did i miss something did i mishear something i was very confused because um doesn't that seem so was that scene but who hires him as the project director that's matt damon's character after he's accepted yeah the the role at the university so before but he was he was already yeah, in that yeah. role at princeton and living mm-hmm. in that house and that's how i like double checked because when they get in the argument after the fact they're in that house still and they're moving away from that house so unless i misunderstood something about the timeline that day that he talks to yeah. Einstein at the lake happened before he went to go start making the bomb, correct? I'm pretty sure... Because remember when they're at the end of the conversation, in the in the last scene of the movie, mm-hmm. when they're kind of show in detail what they talked about, he mentions to him, remember the, the, the piece of paper that he brought to him? Yeah. We're double-checking the calculation. I think that's what you're talking about. So, yeah. So, so that to me shows that this that particular scene took place after they had made the bomb and the bomb was dropped already. Okay, so, so maybe I just need to rewatch the movie. That's because because I had to think about that too. Because yeah. but, but that was because in the moment, just kind of just taking it in. The, the, that's how I knew that that scene it took place before the Senate hearing, but it took place after, after the, the, bomb the bomb was made in Los Alamos and they dropped it. So it was... But then you see that scene before you see any of the rest of it. Okay, understood. Yeah. So I so, did. So I Christopher Nolan has a really like, good habit yeah. of start, kind of stating something early and then setting it up and then paying it off in the best way imaginable, like towards the end. So, he does and I will, I will tell you, this is definitely a movie that makes you think. You really have to think. I was very tired, you guys. Very tired. Obviously very engaged, but I think my brain maybe was like moving a little too slow to put it all together. Um, Really great movie makes you think. I do think that this is, again, like Tenet and Inception, you have to go see it twice. Like, I feel like I didn't fully understand Inception and all of its different moving parts until I saw it the second time. And I feel like this is going to be one of those movies that we're going to keep catching new stuff every time we go see it. So honestly, I might go see it again. I, mean, I might wait until it comes out, though, like at home. But yeah, good movie. I'm, yeah, I think look, it's phenomenal. I from for, I completely agree with you. the The movie is 
I mentioned this, I think, before the show or even earlier in the show that it's one of Christopher Nolan's crowning achievements in mm-hmm. a career that's filled with them. Like, I still think, in my opinion, again, this is just my opinion, that The Dark Knight is still his best film ever. And then, you know, after that, you have things like, I think, Inception and Interstellar rank really, really high on my list. Mm-hmm. Um, I particularly love Interstellar because of like how it deals with concepts and physics in a way that is, you know, from a storytelling perspective, just genius, but also it doesn't discount the scientific accuracy of those concepts. And I think that's also what I do that. Yeah. I think that's what I love about Christopher Nolan. He sort of dives into these fully like scientific eras that I don't think he has any, any background in. Right. But he, he doesn't, but he does his he research. Always, yeah, he has. Yeah. I have failed to see like big inaccuracies, which make me love it even more because he makes a beautiful story out of like life and truth and like science, which I think is a really hard thing to do. Yeah. And, and you know what? Like this is something where he's always kept the priority on getting the scientific accuracy right and telling a good story a story that's grounded in characters and and just good storytelling fundamentals early in his career jonathan nolan his brother was writing a lot of his movies and then or they would collaborate and then as he has gone on he started to just write the movies himself like at the end of this movie i noticed like it said written and directed for the screen for the for film by christopher nolan and and that's something where i think for interstellar for example he had kip thorne uh, mm-hmm. who is a well-renowned physicist, one of the, the well-known names of, of the modern era of physics, who who was his big scientific advisor for Interstellar and dealing with concepts with like general relativity and everything that they do. And yeah. this movie, I think, you know, he went in and did the research, obviously, is based on a book. I think this is probably the first adapted screenplay he's ever written and directed Mm -hmm. because he's generally like you know either going off historical events like you know what we did in dunkirk and Mm -hmm. dunkirk also you know a linear event but the way that he made his movie story play out i haven't seen that's the one big movie of his that i haven't seen so maybe that's my homework because both of these movies are based on real life events and, mm-hmm. and uniquely so because none of his other movies are based on real life events, particularly very well-known real life events yeah. involving some very well-known people from the real world. There's a lot of comparisons in between how uh, Oppenheimer and, and, and uh, Dunkirk are structured mm-hmm. in terms of like telling, I think, like three separate storylines that are all connected but shown in this non-linear way in a way that feels poetic mm-hmm. and also... These are stories that don't not with in any filmmaker's hand or in most filmmakers' hands, they wouldn't be able to make these stories feel as engaging as mm. what Christopher Nolan is able to do. Because yeah. ultimately, like with Oppenheimer, like just because what was impressing, because that's one of the biggest things I like about Christopher Nolan film. So I look for it now because I know he's always going to deliver on this. He he has, you know, and I love the rule of threes in filmmaking. Like, you know, and and, and, and that tends to just, it just has this like quality that it plays better in, our, in the human mind. So in this movie, the story is basically about three things. It's a story of making of the of the atom bomb with the Los Alam in Los Alamos. And so we see all of that play out and that kind of concludes, you know, what feels like around the halfway mark of the movie by the time mm-hmm. you get to the end. Although like in the moment you're thinking, oh, look, there's it. That's it. Like now yeah, we're no. done. Yeah. But no, no, the whole story. And then like from there, and even though up until that point, we have had, you know, 
intercut uh, intercutting the sequences of them making the bomb with the senate hearing for strauss mm-hmm. and uh, like what uh, what's well, everything that we've been seeing in uh the personal life of robert oppenheimer mm-hmm. and then once the bomb is made and then you know after that we i think transition to really like what's going on with the personal life of Oppenheimer and then the, the, the not just the the celebratory uh consequences but also some some of the, the bad things that Robert Oppenheimer had to had go through in the post you know uh, World War II uh, era and then we really start to focus on the Senate hearing and then he kind of wraps it all up by the end in yeah. a way where like I think thematically the the this where we end on the shot of uh, uh Killian Murphy just the terror in his eyes and then you see like what by that time we have seen that shot a few times but now we are seeing that that shot was really like the vision in his mind that is the you know at that point i think the the intent is that it's metaphorically true that that we they did set the world on fire metaphorically Mm -hmm. speaking like we entered this new age where you know, humans could destroy each other at a moment's notice with just the press of a button. And that's something that was never possible before. And it's just the gravity of that statement, you know, like I really appreciate it. I I also think that it, you know, getting to see the remorse of someone who had that much power in a sense of like creating the bomb, but also to see I mean, there's just the different parts about it. Like, to see how Truman basically, like, threw him away after he created this. Yeah, he called him a crybaby. Yeah, literally, like. like, That's just not And I wonder if those things are historically accurate, but, like, to see how the U.S. military kind of, like, threw him away. Yeah. After he did this huge thing for the U.S., right? But, like, it's this terrifying thing. Like, the atom bomb is terrifying, scientifically as a scientist he was very much interested in the science the whole way but then towards the as you get further and further into the movie you realize like as a person he really struggles with what he has created because it is this weapon of mass destruction and i think they said that they weren't even sure how many people like they had estimates of like how many people and how many miles would be affected but based off of the cities that they dropped them on they didn't actually they weren't it killed way more than they thought it was going to. And the numbers right? kept going up. They were like, yeah. cause, and, and they were more than their estimates. And even then, yeah. and like, you know, it was just, I think one of the, remember that one scene where one of the, I don't know if it's one of the politicians or one of the, the cabinet members at yeah. the time, who's like, oh, we're going to take that one city from consideration because it's, it's whole cultural Oh, because it's where we vacation. And yeah, yeah because we vacation. Which was like, it, it got a chuckle out in the moment but from the audience in my theater, which I think I was think meant to be that, yeah, but at the same at time, it was like this dark humor that like how cynical some people in, in the moment took a decision that really changed the world. And it has, for, I mean, if there's, I mean, there's many events through our history that have defined yeah. the era we live in today. But I think in many ways, the event that kind of changed the world and, and the world that, I mean, we, we would have a totally different world today if, it, if nuclear energy wasn't a thing. Yeah. Whether it's 
whether it's uh, you know how we're using it as a weapon or whether it's how we're using it as a source of energy or the advancements that it has led to in physics yeah but like the biggest thing beyond that for me was like i was geeking out over this movie because i'm a big like scientific science nerd mm-hmm. kind of a geek thing so like when they're just like casually bringing in like a niels bohr or Werner heisenberg or like mm-hmm. these people i'm like oh my god there's that guy oh i know that scientist i know his story like from science class or from history class and yeah and it's just so i was geeking out over this movie in so many ways i but mean yeah. this really does mention like the top scientists of that time right like we have all of them and we even get to see einstein i was like oh but also to see how how all of those scientific frontrunners all came together or like apart in some way to lead into the creation of this in itself is like kind of insane like i don't know if there was ever a massive time in history that all of these people would be together. I, I mean, like we've that. seen so many movies about like the space program, right? Like yeah. and how big of an achievement and TV shows like For All Mankind is like an alternate history show, but also there's stuff like The Right Stuff and and whether you want the movie or like, I think there was a series about it. But there's, you know, like when you when when the entire country or the world came together to do something big, that yeah. is a cultural moment that is forever going to live in time and his, has historical significance. So this movie it shows you that it was like this very revolutionary special time in the world of science where all of these names that you know we see their names on plaques and 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 buildings and prestigious institutions they were all alive and working together on something this big and and then to see the how again he christopher nolan grounds everything in character Mm -hmm. all of his stories and so to see like how killian murphy played the role of and and then just showing us on screen just like how racked with guilt Robert Oppenheimer mm. was. I mean, to be able to show on screen in any movie or TV show in any visual medium something as internal as guilt, that's yeah. difficult. And 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 I mean, there were some and and as well as like just the nuances of his relationship with his wife mm-hmm. or or his lover before that, and and just how like. To, he went through that uh, different stages of, of, of his life. Yeah. I, I have not, I ca- in my out of theater review, I call this movie deeply emotionally affecting because I don't yeah. think I've ever seen a biopic like be this visceral and, and this cinematic while also being this personal and this intimate, you know? Truly and that's Christopher Nolan's way. Beautiful. Like everything about this movie, I, I really think that this is going to be like a staple of cinematic history for a long time. And then you have to talk about the cast. Like, we've got Killian Murphy. We have Florence Pugh, which I actually didn't realize was in this movie until I saw her. Robert Downey Jr., Emily Blunt, Jack Quaid, Matt Damon. Like, it keeps going. Every single person in this movie. I mean, we have Rami Malek in this movie, too. Like, And playing, like, what seems like a relatively single... insignificant role until, like, the third act. And you're like, wait, why did they have Rami Malek playing this, like, little scientist... And then, like, he becomes so significant. Yeah. I mean, truly, like, there was not a single person on the screen at any point in time that I was like, I really don't know who that is. But, I mean, maybe maybe one, if I, like, really think about it. But for the most part, I knew who, I knew who everyone in this movie was. And everyone played a significance to some extent as far as the story went. Everybody did a great job. I think this was some of Emily Blunt's best acting. The, truly, I don't know if I've ever seen her do a better job of like playing because she plays essentially like 
a housewife, right? But she really is Oppenheimer's partner. She really plays this like very strong, but also she's clearly an alcoholic, but she plays that line so well because she's clearly very intelligent. And in the beginning, they tell you that she's a biologist, but you only get that one hint. And then she comes through very strongly in the end with like, I mean, truly, she saves Oppenheimer. When she's in that interrogation, oh I my was gosh. like, you go, girl. Like, Phenomenal. the way she was coming back at Jason Phenomenal. Clark's character. Yeah, I love yes. that. That was one of my favorite scenes of the entire movie yeah. was how that plays out. And you can see just, that where Oppenheimer's sitting behind her saying, yeah, I, this is the this is the yeah. woman who I should have, I made the right decision to, to stick yeah. by her side and for her to stick by my side. Like that's, those are those like relationship defining moments. Yeah. And it just like, it hit me like really like it, it, that was. But also I feel like moments. their marriage is so real. Like it shows like the true caveats of, of a marriage during that time. It was fairly normal for men to cheat on their wives, which look, I'm not in, like, that's not okay. Right. But that was a very normal historical thing during that time. Like, their infidelity is like one of the leading causes of divorce, but nobody got divorced in that time. And it shows the true caveats of like being with someone. Obviously you clearly see like her alcoholism after the baby, like it, all the caveats of this marriage felt so real, so true. So like full in a way, as far as the story was told. And then you have this, like this truly every segment of this movie, I'm like, wow like wow and i feel like everyone has to go see it period it'll make you think it yeah. makes you like look back at it like holy crap they just did such a great job and i mentioned earlier that walking out of barbie i called that the best movie of the year and mm -hmm. I, and you know right now i think barbie is still one of the best movies of the year but i am willing to without any hesitations at this point tell you that oppenheimer is the best movie of the year. Killian Murphy is going to get nominated yeah. for the I uh, feel like he Oscar. has to. Robert Downey Jr., who's, I think, probably put up his best performance of his career. And yes. and the moment, and the one of my other favorite moments in the movie that I'm like, yes, he's going to get a Best Supporting Actor Oscar for this, or at least be nominated for it, because when you saw that conversation with Aiden Ehrenreich's character and mm -hmm. during their hearing, they're in, off in the room and during like lunch break, when he when he turns like that scene and he you realize oh he's the bad guy mm -hmm. and oh he's been the bad guy and it's just like the the sin i'm like you could there was a collective gasp and then i could feel the audience processing that after and well, particularly also, robert for Downey Jr., someone who was a staple superhero in the marvel universe my favorite superhero as an actor, it's really hard to come back from that. Like, once you play a superhero, it's really hard to get out of that typecast. It's really hard to play anything defining outside of that. I mean, Chris Hemsworth, I don't know if we'll ever see him play anything, like, really defining outside of Thor. I don't know if it'll happen. And then even, I mean, even with Guardians of the Galaxy, like, all of those characters, for the most part, up until, um, wait, what is her with a little she's like the cute little alien um, nebula nebula yeah. nebula uh, okay Tom but Clementise. yeah actor i was shocked when i saw her in mission possible because i didn't even realize it was her right 
But there are so many actors that just don't get the chance. Robert Downer Jr. not only got the chance, but he nailed it. I hated his character. I hated him. From the moment he stepped on the screen, I was like, something about him gives me the ick. And obviously he ended up being the villain, but he played it so well. I'm like, truly, I cannot say anything bad about any of the acting in this movie. Yeah, the, the single, first time watching this movie, there's just so many like these these pivotal emotional moments that all land so perfectly that it's just mm-hmm. hard to yeah. I mean, this is the best movie of the of of the year, and I mean, yeah, Robert Downey Jr. like he chased tried with like Doolittle with the Judge, and nothing yeah. seems to have stuck outside the MCU. But I think I think with this movie, he's he's opening himself up to doing a. a taking on different kinds of roles that probably will and then you know it's not like every movie that he plays a character like what he's playing here is going to be mm-hmm. as big because ultimately this is a christian Nolan movie a movie that somehow they made for only a hundred million dollars so it's gonna make like more than enough money to money, break yeah. even it's already like more than broken even it's i think it's off to like what like 300 million dollars global already and of that oh, over I didn't 80 even million know. yeah domestic. they had an 80 80 million here yeah, and then it's 300 plus globally, and that's yeah. just the opening weekend. So I'm like, this movie's already in the green. I mean, there's no, yeah. so yeah, it's got a 94 percent Rotten Tomato score, 8.8 on IMDb. Like, yep. everybody is loving this movie. You know what the best thing about Barbenheimer is? Is the fact that everybody agrees that they like it and how much they like it. Because when I oh, look, it is rare to see this. Big it's love. so rare to see this yeah. on Rotten Tomatoes. Barbies. Critic and audience score are both 90%. And for mm-hmm. Oppenheimer, their critic and audience scores are both 94%. And it's it's like, oh, you know, so Rotten great. Tomatoes is getting into it because yeah. Barbie's cage has got pink all over. And then oh. when you go to Oppenheimer, they've got black and everything's in their thematic yeah. pages. So this is like a full-blown phenomena. I don't think this is people are going to like all of a sudden be like, oh, opening weekend event and saw it once, don't want to see it again. Because both of these movies, while Oppenheimer is a movie that you will gain more an appreciation for the details on second and third rewatches, Barbie is one of those just watchable movies that you would just have fun going to rewatch. So I think both of these movies will get repeat business and people will bring their friends and the word of mouth will only continue to spread. I personally am looking forward to going to see it a second time. And it's rare that I go see a movie a second time in theaters. Uh, how about you? I'm definitely going to go see Barbie on Wednesday. I might wait to rewatch Oppenheimer until I can watch it from home. Surround sound, just watch it from home. I don't know. IMAX was really loud, and the movie is really long, you guys. So normally I only give those, like, I get fully immersed in the experience the one time, and then I, I like to watch it from home. But I definitely will see the movie again. Okay. Yeah. Hey, look, um, ultimately, you know, we can't go wrong with either of these movies. Barbenheimer is here. If you guys have not gone and taken part in this global phenomena, then do go see it. I personally would not recommend that you go watch both movies on the same day or back to back. So make time for Oppenheimer, then make time for Barbie or, mm-hmm. you know, Barbie and then Oppenheimer, whichever order you go and see it in. If you already saw both one or the other, just 
leave us a comment below. Tell us what you thought. Like, you know, did uh, did we did we get like our analysis of like how Oppenheimer ends right? We want to know what you think about like how the timeline kind of fits together in there. What did you think about you know the the stuff in Barbie like I'm Knuff or I'll beat you any day, which are all references that Angelina you'll understand better after you see the movie. Uh, but yeah, hit the like button and subscribe and uh, keep keep coming back for more. We're gonna be reviewing movies like this the rest of the year. There's still a lot to come. So many good movies to come later this year. But right now, I want to pivot a little bit. Let's talk about, you know, uh, DC stuff. Like on, on this channel, we have this thing called DCU Daily. So on today's episode of DCU Daily, I want to talk to you, Angelina, about this story that came out earlier last week. And then it got quickly debunked by James Gunn. So there was so there's this website called Giant Freaking Robot, which is, you know, mm-hmm. for, for everybody in the nerd dumb who is into comic book movies. And even like if you're into just action and just big blockbuster Hollywood franchises, they're one of the websites out there that gives you good story and coverage. They're not like Variety or Hollywood Reporter. They're not like a, a trade, industry trade kind of a site or deadline. However, they occasionally, you know, have a scoop here and there. And sometimes it's a good one. Sometimes it's not. They had a story running that... Daniel Craig was being offered the role of Lex Luthor in the new DCU, so the upcoming Superman Legacy movie. Mm-hmm. And so one of the f- uh, people, you know, who was clearly reading the article on went on threads and sent James Gunn a, th- uh, a message saying, hey, is this true with a screenshot of the story? And then James Gunn on threads responded with a very clear and concise, that is not true or this is not true. So the question I'm bringing to you today is, let's say for you know, theoretically speaking, right? Like, because there's many reasons why this doesn't have to be true. The most obvious being Mm -hmm. because James Gunn said it and then it's just factually not true. It could also be that they were in negotiations, but with the SAG after a strike, they can't really talk about it. And until it's official, they can't talk about it. You know, there just goes against, you know, I'm sure James Gunn would not want to go against the the, the union in any way. There's so many reasons. Or, you know, it just, it just maybe was something that was happening at one point and then it fell apart because it wasn't a good fit. For whatever the reason might be, I just want to play devil's advocate or just let's theoretically say that Daniel Craig was offered the role of Lex Luthor in Mm. Superman Legacy, an actor of his caliber, who I think is probably the greatest James Bond of all time, who is currently doing fantastically well for himself in those Knives Out uh, movies. What do you think about the idea of Daniel Craig possibly playing Lex Luthor in the DC? Honestly, I think it would be, because we chose Bill Skarsgård as like our it out of the choices we had, right? But if Daniel Craig is in the mix, like it has to be Daniel Craig. I think my, and also I think it would be really good for him to be able to play Lex Luthor, to play the villain after playing those Okay, I'm sorry. Knives Out is like so whatever. Like his character in Knives Out is so hokey. Over the top. Like very he has hokey. Fun with it, I am clearly. not into it. And so after seeing him play Bond, right? The Bond, James Bond, it would be so good to like find him in a character that can be taken a little bit more seriously, can sort of dive into the depths and be super fun to see him play the villain. I'm like, yes. Absolutely, he would be my choice. But have I ever seen him play the villain before? I don't know if I have. Has he ever played the villain? I don't know. I, he's definitely had some... Before James Bond, he wasn't really like an A-list actor, I wouldn't say. Yeah. Like, he was doing a lot of supporting roles. I believe maybe one or two of his supporting roles were like he wasn't playing somebody who was you would consider an antagonist. But I don't believe he's really played any kind of like iconic or memorable villainous roles. So... so this would yeah. be gr- 
awesome. Like, it'd be super cool to see it. I definitely think he has the capacity to do it. I'm not worried about his, like, capacity as an antagonist, but I, I, he would be my choice. But you're right. I mean, if James Gunn shot it down, there's a chance that he shot it down because negotiations aren't done. There's a chance that he shot it down because of the SAG strike, which is affecting everything, because it would look really, really bad to cast somebody during the strike right now, and it would look really bad on Daniel Craig if he accepted a role right now. So yeah, it could be either way, but James Gunn could, I mean, it, it might not happen. Dan, how would you feel if it didn't happen? Are you okay? Um, will you be okay? I will be okay because, look, I love the idea of somebody like Bill Skarsgård playing yeah. it. I, I think when we talked about it last week, Bill Skarsgård, Alexander Skarsgård, um, Nicholas Holt, Jesse Eisenberg, whoever, you know, plays Lex Luthor. I think all of I still stand by it. I really actors. don't want to see Nicholas Holt play with Lex Luthor. I don't. Well, I, but, you know, as terms of being talented actors who have yeah. the emotional depth to be able to kind of play a character who has, like, a lot of layers to him because if, if you even if you go by the the, the on-screen uh portrayals of lex luthor or if you go by the comics or the animated shows and, and tv appearances over the years lex luthor is an incredibly complex character he's one of the best most iconic comic book characters of all time especially when you consider you know whether it's a villain or from the rogues gallery of any superhero or just a character who's not super powered but there is so much to him in terms of what he aspires to, how he, he serves as a foil to Superman, as well as just who Lex Luthor is in general as a person, I think Daniel Craig has all the talent in the world to come in and play a fantastic version of Lex Luthor. Mm -hmm. It's just a matter of, you know, whether it's true or not, we'll find out. As of right now, James Gunn is saying that this is not true. Doesn't mean we won't get a casting announcement, you know, once the strike is over and we get back to movie making in Hollywood until then. Um, or it may never happen. Like for all we know, we will get like a Bill Skarsgård, which would be perfectly, uh, you know, fine. I, I think it would be great. I, ultimately, when the movie comes out, you judge the movie on its merits. And I think yep. I'm looking forward to Superman Legacy because the casting they have already confirmed, whether it's Nathan Fillion as Green Lantern, David Cornsweet as Superman, or Rachel Brosnahan as Lois Lane. Those are all great castings. So, hey, we're going to be talking more about all of this stuff on DCU Daily. You know, as every time new new things break out, I think one of the things I'm going to talk about in the upcoming episodes is Blue Beetle's box office projections are coming out now, and they're not very good. So we'll talk about that on a future episode of DCU Daily. But until then, uh, keep coming back here for updates again daily. You know, Monday to Friday, we we give you the latest from the world of DCU, everything DCU related. And thanks again for joining me on 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 this special version of DCU Daily. Okay, so right now let's kind of pivot to talking about the SAG after strike. Right, we have this, the the historic SAG after WGA joint strike, the first one since 1960, is happening right now. It's 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 a situation that. It's. I feel like it's still in the process of getting worse before it's going to get better because before when the negotiations were going on, basically what we, what we were told, I mean, you know, was that they won't be talking to the media. Neither side, AMPTP or SAG-AFTRA, will be talking to the media while negotiations were ongoing, which is perfectly fine. You don't want to negotiate in, front of, in the public eye. You, and you don't want to, because either side will then try to play the public, you know, to their side. Hey. And get the public opinion on their side. So where we are at now, though, with the strike ongoing, is it seems like that is exactly what's happening. This is playing in the public eye. What do you think is going on at this point? Where is SAG-AFTRA at? And being boots on the ground in LA, 
what is the situation like with the strike? Um, right now, I have to strike next week. I have already talked to friends. I haven't been out there. I need to go to the picket lines. It's like um, not only sort of an ethical and a moral thing, but just like to stand by my fellow actors and just really make sure that I'm doing my part, right? Like it's a crazy, a crazy space to be in. You know, you're seeing the AMPTP and SAG going back and forth online. They said that they weren't going to talk about it and now they're talking about it. It's there's no real movements. I actually talked to a writer friend of mine and she was like, the WGA is not going to get any further in negotiations until SAG has finalized, finalized their, their, uh, all the decisions, which is crazy to me because the WGA has been striking and you would think that the AMPTP would really want to just like make the writers happy at this point. But I guess WGA is holding out to see what SAD gets and then change their negotiations. So there's a lot up in the air. I don't know what's going to happen right now. I feel like everything that SAG is arguing for is like a good thing to argue for. And that's where I'm at. I, I'm standing with the people. I hope that we get everything and all that we need because at the end of the day like it's necessary in order to move forward so um as far as the sag after strike goes right now we we've had this article that i that that is i read this on deadline i'm sure other you know uh, sites are talking about it too the amptp put out this document talking about well look um, the SAG-AFTRA also put out a document, uh, I, well, I think it was a week or so ago, basically talking about, hey, this is what we had asked for. This is where we had disagreements. And then, you know, this is what the, the studios refused to give us. And so the MPTP, the producer side, the, basically the, the studio representatives, they put out a document uh, just now where they basically said, look, we were uh, kind of misrepresented in that statement from SAG-AFTRA earlier. And so we want to clarify a few things. And mm -hmm. so that has included their stance on AI and how, you know, digital replicas of background actors, things of that nature, and also in residuals and like wage increases that they're proposed. They've mentioned how in some way, in some areas, you know, uh, they didn't have uh, an agreement, but they were working towards it and more work has to be done. So they've admitted to that in some areas. They have said that, you know, some things regarding the AI side of the, the conversation were misrepresented by Zagaftra. Did you have a chance to kind of read into this a little bit? Like, what do you think? Because uh, to me, it means this is yeah. kind of just now out in the open that they're fighting the, the, the fight. It's negotiating I, the public eye. And it's, and the SAG has already responded again, saying like, we will not respond to AMTP's, like uh, AMPTP's actual rebuttal until we have time to fully look at the document because apparently the document is crazy long which i think on sags like sags end that's really smart i think it's really easy to fire off these comments right because it's not like people are like sitting down to you know interview these people it's they're taking these quotes from situational things people are just saying stuff so i think it's really really smart of sag to just be like we're not issuing an actual response to this right now but what they did say was everything we've released is fully accurate and that there are no discrepancies. We've done our best to make sure that it's only accurate information going out. So I think AMPTP is really just trying to 
start a little war in the public. That's kind of what it seems like, right? Like, uh, you know, I feel like this is a he said, she said. And then beca yeah. because when the negotiations were going on, they were like, they had agreed, we are not going to discuss our negotiations in the public yeah. eye. And that's usually how negotiations go. You don't want to kind of, you know, toss your dirty laundry out in, in front of the world for them to see. Well, because it also so, affects negotiations 1000% because of public public policy, public, public opinion. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And, and But now it seems like because they're on strike and nobody's at the table discussing this stuff, they're just now kind of bring throwing all that dirty laundry out into the open and saying, well, look, this is what our version of this of, of this went like. And that's what their version went like. I do see some of what they have said here. Like, for example, um, ultimately, when you look at the one of the biggest things that they disagree on here, the AMPTP and SAG-AFTRA and even the WGA, right? It's AI. Like AI is a big part of what's holding us back from any deal. The residual increases and all those things are, you know, part of the process, but those have been part of previous negotiations. Wage increases, working conditions, you know, the amount of hours you can spend on set, all of those things, you know, pension contributions, those are all, none of those things are new per se. And so mm -hmm. I don't think those would be like, deal breakers, we would eventually kind of figure out the right numbers for everybody. People can mm -hmm. compromise. We have done that before. Where I think we're really in new territory is the AI part. And ultimately, you know, you can uh, go on the deadline, you can, you can read this 23-page AMPTP document. And in the deadline article, they also link you to uh, the SAG-AFTRA document from a, a couple of weeks ago. But to just kind of summarize, uh, I think where we are at here is AMPTP sees that AI as an inevitability, and so they want to do their they want to do what they feel is best in in the studio's interest to establish rules for AI's use and then leave it open for that to evolve down the road. Whereas, and and again, this is my opinion based on what I am reading and mm -hmm. how I'm interpreting it. So, from for everybody as that you know, you you're welcome to read all of this and then make your own opinion on this. But it's so, you know, studios see this as a necessary evil because, you know, AI is here to stay. AI is not going anywhere. And and SAG-AFTRA, I don't think is necessarily denying that. But I think SAG-AFTRA, what they are emphasizing here is the slippery slope argument that we the slippery slope. Basically, unless if we're going to deal with AI, we need to deal with it in the most comprehensive way imaginable. So there is no open endedness to it. There is no way for either side to find some sort of loophole to exploit down the road because we know mm -hmm. in business and especially in a cutthroat business like Hollywood, if there's a loophole, if there's a way that somebody can get away with something, especially when it involves it. paying less money, they're yeah. going to do that. And I think that's where really there's disagreements is that the studios are saying this is a necessary evil. We're willing to put some rules forward and we're willing to see where this goes and evolves over time. And sag is like, okay, but no. you clearly are not doing enough due diligence here to put enough of a framework around this that we are protecting the likenesses of our members who are ultimately going to be affected by this. You know, yeah. the studio executives' faces are not in the movies and on the posters and in the trailers. It's our members, our actors. Have you the seen the new season of Black Mirror? I have I have actually seen parts of it and I saw the trailer, okay. but the Selma Hack episode, right? Is that what the yes. about? Yes, yeah. it is so creepy accurate about what this like what SAG is scared of, and like I actually just did this digital likeness job for ESPN, right? But I don't know what it's going into. I sold them my digital likeness. It's only available for this amount of time. 
once they start using it. But I don't know what game it's going to be in. I don't know where it's going. I don't know what character I'm playing. My likeness, my digital likeness is going into a database where it will sit and be stored until some video game developer is like, I want her in my video game. I will be eventually in some sort of video game. I don't know when, I don't know where, I don't know why, I don't know what character. That's a little worrisome, right? But this is like the beginnings of, of that digital likeness situation. And when you look at Black Mirror, that episode really plays it out really well. There right now is no information. People are not required to provide me with information. I either choose to take the job or I don't do the job. As far as selling my facial likeness to some disembodied character that I have no idea about, right? And when I get a script, like I get to okay the script. I get to decide whether or not I want to play this character. And I sign a contract and I do this. And I have influence over how I play the character. I have influence sometimes even on lines and the script if based off of like what kind of job it is. Like, yeah. I don't, it, it's, it's freaky to know that they're trying to open up the door to more of that without wanting to give us more information on the front end. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I think like where the disagreements right now are ultimately again, where the studios are like, well, we're willing to put some framework around it, but sag feels like there, there's not enough being offered here. That yeah. if, if you're going to go down that road, then we need to really set some boundaries and really set some very specific, you know, rules in place so that nobody gets exploited. And, and, to be completely fair, I think SAG-AFTRA has more to worry about because it's their members who would probably mm-hmm. suffer the most in case somebody some, somewhere decides to Also, to as digital likenesses go, likeness. like financially on that side of it, like what, you, you pay to have my likeness? You should also pay me residuals for every time it's used, where I also feel like they might not be as forthcoming with that. They want to pay on the front end, like, no, we'll pay for your likeness. Okay, but you still have to pay residuals every time you use my likeness. Or, like, if you use my likeness in different movies, that should be two different fees. Like, it's so there's a lot to be... Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. And in, in, in that document from the MPTP, they mentioned like, hey, look, obtaining a consent for every time a likeness is used somewhere beyond the original project that you signed, that mm-hmm. has to be part of the process, that they would bargain a, a new rate or compensation at that point in time. But yeah, it doesn't really mention a lot about residuals. Or if it does, I haven't had a chance to really be able to kind of dig into details. So somebody else who has done, you know, all the reading, uh, I'm sure let us know in the comments what you found. But definitely, I think that's part of the slippery slope argument that Mm -hmm. we could end up in a situation where yeah, um, so your likeness was used in something and maybe you got paid up front, but then you know, where's the residuals and then there's the business side of it. So I think just looking at it from the other side, the studios could say, well, we use your likeness on a separate project and you got paid for that, but we can't pay residuals because you didn't actually do any extra work. We did the work and kind of use your likeness. And, but that, even if you put that argument aside, there's the business, the business sense, like well, it wouldn't make a lot of business yeah. sense when you're, it's, this is the other side of uh, one of the other issues in this is streaming and residuals for streaming is a similar situation where I don't think 
studios are making enough money with this operating model to be able to even give the kind of residuals that they used to be able to do in like cable television era when you had yeah, advertising everywhere. So they were making enough money from the, you know, the, the broadcast and the syndication was a big part of how the actors got residuals. I think now with streaming, it's, it's just, they're not making, like, where's the money going to come from for them to give residuals because they're just not making as much money or from advertisers. So I think ultimately we either are going to end up in a situation where advertising will be as ubiquitous in streaming as it was in cable and still is mm -hmm. in cable, or we're going to need to figure out some other financial structure as to how these things are budgeted and made and distributed. I, I also think that this ties into the theatrical window. The shortening of the theatrical window has affected, I think, a lot of movies box office because people are like, well, I can just wait three months and it's going to be on Disney+. Plus." Back in the day, three months after the movie came out, it may only just you come out on, on digital yeah. and you either rent it or you buy it. And then two, three months after that, it would go on some premium streaming service that you may not have. And then yeah. it may come to the streaming service you have. And then maybe a year after the movie came it's out. Actually it actually where Netflix first got their start. Remember yeah. when Netflix literally you had to pick out like you paid a monthly thing and then you picked out like one movie and then you only got another movie when you return that movie and they charged you fees just like Blockbuster did if you went over your movie. My, we had a Netflix subscription early because it was like right when Blockbuster was sort of like petering out and we wanted a place where we could just go rent a movie that was easy peasy. So, I mean, yeah, I think it's definitely going to change the framework of Hollywood as a whole. Yeah. But I mean, it yeah. needs to happen. I mean, George Clooney said it. I think there was a there was a social media. I think it was an Instagram that I saw somebody post about this, and and I forget the exact nature of the quote. But George Clooney basically said, and he's not the only one. There's a lot of other people, actors, producers, who have said that these are landmark times in terms of like Hollywood. The way we have been operating is not sustainable, and so moving forward, these strikes in order for them to resolve these strikes and. The actor strikes are having a much bigger uh, immediate impact on the studio's bottom line, especially if they can't release movies like Dune Part 2 and, and, and Aquaman and The Lost Kingdom. Those That's just the, the start of how this, you know, these strikes are actually affecting the bottom lines and, and, and the profitability of studios, not just in the short term, but in the long term. So we need to change what we're doing. And yeah, like, like George Clooney and many actors have said, the change from here has to be a sea change. Like the way we do business, the way Hollywood operates, what Hollywood is even in terms of like, a, you know, a, a source of storytelling, it has to be different because it's not as equitable as it, as, as it needs to be so that everybody, and you know, and, and on many levels, like uh, the SAG-AFTRA and, and, and the WGA just want their members to be able to pay their basic living way, you know, uh, wages so that they can pay their bills. And they can have a you know, normal life. A life. No, a life. Nobody's looking for like millions of dollars for doing the work they were previously getting nowhere close to that. I think it's just yeah. there's a lot of basic. So so and if the system is so has so much inequality that the people on the top are making hundreds of millions of dollars and the people at the very bottom can't even pay the, the rent or put food on their table. Yeah. That's clearly very inequitable and we need to change that. And I, and I sincerely hope that, you know, the, the, the strikes that are ongoing will make that change. Hopefully 
before people start to lose their houses or can't pay their bills. Yeah. And, and it's it's getting rough really fast. And I think the actor strike is going to push the studios a lot more than the WGA because they can't have the excuse of we have scripts in the bank now, stuff like that. Like actors can't do anything. There's no Comic-Con, there's no movie promotions, and that mm-hmm. has a significant impact on movies. So on hopefully- the whole, yeah. Yeah, hopefully we'll get back on track. Uh, we're going to be, t- you know, we've been doing uh, coverage of the SAG after a strike and the WGA strike every week. We're going to keep doing that here. So keep coming back, check checking in, and, and we'll keep talking about the latest developments. We'll give you our insight. You are welcome to leave us a comment below about what you think about the strike. If you're out there on the picket lines, you know, stay hydrated, stay safe, and of course, let us know how things are going for you. And then if you like what we are talking about, then you can hit the like button and then hit subscribe for more content like this. Um, so now, before we end the show, let's just quickly talk about what's coming out next week. I know Barbenheimer is probably still going to be happening next week and for weeks to come. And we, so of course, still have Mission Impossible in, in theaters. So next week, we have this, new, this one big new movie, and that's a Disney film which is not a remake of a movie, another movie, but it's a new adaptation of the, the famous Haunted Mansion ride because we had The Haunted Mansion in 2003 with Eddie Murphy. And that was a movie that I don't think anybody remembers as like a, uh, as like a big blockbuster classic of its time. Yeah, I think it's a like bit a- of a cult classic amongst <laughs> Disney audiences. Yeah. So now we have a new like movie called Haunted Mansion, not The Haunted Mansion, but just Haunted Mansion, literally 20 years on from the first from the, 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 the original or the first, I don't believe they have any connection. But what do you think about the about this Haunted Mansion movie? It's coming out in July. and Yeah, I'm a little, I, I really question the timeline. Like I feel like this movie would have been better served coming out closer to Halloween. I think it would have played as like the family favorite for like a good Halloween movie. Uh, so coming out in the middle of summer, I'm like, eh, I don't know about that. And then also like the movie was kind of like, whatever, like it was like, it was a good Eddie Murphy movie, right? Like you saw it for a laugh. I Fun, it's Yeah. Like I love Eddie Murphy, right? I love him. Like he's great. You went to go see that 2003 iteration of the Haunted Mansion for Eddie Murphy. So, I mean, I mean, there are a lot of stars in this new movie, but it just feels like so lackluster after Barbenheimer, after going to see all of the movies the last few months, it feels like out of place. But I mean, I'll give it a chance. You never know. It might it might surprise me. It yeah, I mean, it's me it's, it's a think it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's look yeah, that's that's my thing. I don't know how much money they spent on this, right? It, it looks like it's a visual effects heavy project. Mm. It's much more of a visceral take on a haunted mansion story or whatever story the ride tells. Really, I haven't been on the ride myself, so I don't really know what exactly oh, really? the story is. No, I'm not. Oh, maybe and, I think I think that's maybe like a Florida thing because growing up in Florida, like I feel like we have so many of these super famous Disney rides and like. We had Universal, we had Disney, we had Busch Gardens, and we had like all of the water parks. So there was just everybody I knew had a park pass. They give you Florida residents like annual discounts to go to those. And we did. We sure did. So I have been on the ride. The ride is old. I think they actually talked about replacing it, which it makes it even funnier that they're releasing a movie based off of it because they, I think they've talked about replacing it with like a, I don't even know what they, I don't know. They talked about replacing it. I don't know how long the ride is going to be around. It's old. It's an old ride. 
it is that's that's one of the things i know that it's one of those older rides that's is one of the iconic rides it's also yeah. like you know disney has a record of making movies based on rides i think the probably mm-hmm. the biggest example the most successful Pirates example is, of the Caribbean! which is which is amazing i think they really struck a chord with that which they i think they've tried with other rides and nothing has quite stuck that quite the same um and now that you know that uh franchise has sort of dried up for the most part uh there, I don't, I, this just, I'm not saying this is a creatively bankrupt move. I, I definitely think this is a movie, Go. Well, I'm going to go see it and I'm going to judge it based on the merits of the movie itself. But, and, and the actors are good, Danny DeVito, Jared Leto, Jamie Lee Curtis, Rosario yeah. Dawson, Winona Ryder, Owen Wilson. They have talent, but it's just one of those movies that I don't think is going to be able to make a mark at a time or in a year where you have so many other iconic properties coming out. I really would have pushed the release until October because I think around October, it would have been the family pick for Halloween. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what the the release schedule looks like. like. Weird. Yeah. It's just strange to me. Especially because Barbie, Barbie is technically family friendly, right? So like people are taking their kids to go see Barbie. I would take my kid to go see Barbie over the haunted or haunted mansion not the haunted mansion sorry yeah like for me the only upside that i see from what they're doing with this release schedule and having it come out in the summer is that this kind of puts it on track to land on disney plus around halloween time and there's movies like there was there's some pixar movies recently and a few other things that disney has put out theatrically that didn't really do well and then had got a second life once it made it into streaming on disney plus so maybe they're hoping that even if it doesn't do well here in theaters that come halloween time it will be one of the their biggest hits and it may you know have a whole new uh following on disney plus so maybe that's the that potential seems upside. Like a weird marketing plan to hope it does well on streaming and halloween <laughs> it's like yeah, a weird I mean, it's not even i mean they, they haven't really been marketing this movie all that much anyway so yeah i don't, I don't know uh, if i've seen anything i think maybe i've seen like i saw a trailer for it a few months ago and then i think i've seen one billboard for it i'm hoping it pleasantly surprised like surprises me there are a lot of good people in it it should be like a good like family comedy but <laughs> yeah the the trailers haven't really impressed me but um, i mean hey look we're gonna go see it um yep. we're gonna talk about it uh, for the good or the, or the bad or the ugly we'll see we'll see how it goes um it could it could be a surprise uh that you know we, we love it or it could be you know just a total bomb who knows uh but barbenheimer will probably still have a grip on movie theaters so uh, if you guys go watch haunted mansion um and you're interested and talking about it then come back here next week we'll be talking about it let us know in the comments below what you think about the movies if you went to see the movies this week then we'd love to hear from you if you're going to be going to see haunted mansion or if you're going to go back to see barbie and oppenheimer next week or even mission impossible let us know and of course as always hit the like button subscribe we love uh you know having you guys around it really helps us out when you hit the like button and it's been nice talking about the movies again we do this once a week and angelina as always it's been great having you here with me yeah thanks so much have a great weekend you guys all right guys and have a great and amazing week ahead at the movies